Have you ever heard the phrase, I've got good news and i got bad news? Have you heard that before? All of us probably have heard it. Well, that was the message that the 12 spies came back with who had been sent by Moses to scout out the promised land, a place called Cana. They spent 40 years there spying on what was going on in the land of Canaan. And this is a pretty remarkable story. You probably remember it. They were liberated from Egypt as slaves, and it was one miracle after the next. The big miracle was the parting of the Red Sea, where they crossed through on dry land. But this thing was a miracle. A whole experience was a miracle fest. And after they had escaped, they ate miracle food, manna, and they drank miracle water. They actually came from a rock, and they followed this miracle cloud that led them to the place where they heard the spies give them the good news, bad news, report. And the good news was this, that the land was phenomenal. It was amazing. We read in Numbers 13, verse 27, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. It was so fertile that they described it as a land that flowed with milk and honey. In fact, they observed one cluster of grapes that was so huge, two men had to carry it on a pole carried on their shoulders. But the bad news, there's good news and then there's bad news. And the bad news was that taking this land would be impossible. Numbers 13, 28 says, But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The first thing they said was the cities, the cities in the promised land were well fortified. But worse than that, the inhabitants are supersized. The spies reported that they saw descendants of Anak, and Anak was a giant who everyone who faced him was terrified by him. He was the Goliath of his day. And some of the Israelite spies admitted that they were so huge we felt like grasshoppers in comparison to them. Now, if you and I had been one of the Israelites and we'd seen all the miraculous plagues in Egypt that God used to humble Pharaoh, and if we'd watched the Red Sea turn into a highway for pedestrians and we walked through on dry ground, and then we'd eaten this miracle food that came from heaven every morning, what would we have said? What would have been our response? Would we have said, listen, folks, this is no different than any of the other challenges that we faced. God told us he's going to give us this land. And after all that he has done for us, we shouldn't be afraid. They should be afraid of us. Based on their history with God, that would have been the sensible conclusion. In fact, that was the conclusion of one of the spies. His name was Caleb. And he thought it made sense to move forward. We read in Numbers 13, verse 30 and following, it says this, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. Think about what was happening here. God wants to give his people this brand new homeland that he had promised them. And to prove that he can do it, he performs miracles on a daily basis for them. But still, some of them are afraid. They are doing all they can to discourage others from trusting God and moving forward. 
They start playing the devil's advocate. They start talking about the good old days back in Egypt where they didn't have to live by faith. They didn't have their freedom, but they knew exactly what to expect every single day. Two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua, joined Moses and Aaron in trying to convince the people to trust God and to move forward. But the other 10 spies said that they shouldn't. And here's what happened next. The people began talking about choosing a new leader and returning back to Egypt. And then they later began talking about stoning those who wanted to move forward. And the result was the people of Israel missed out on the promised land. That generation missed the promised land. If your name is on one of our mailing lists, over the last month, you should have gotten a couple mailers from us. One was an information sheet that talked about, introduced this whole thing called More Than. And this past week, you should have gotten a brochure that gave you kind of an explanation of the vision of More Than. You know, if you've read it, that this is a five-week initiative during which we're exploring how God can do more than in all these areas of our lives, culminating with an opportunity to make a personal commitment to help us bring down our debt. The more, this more than initiative started with that idea of reducing the principle of our loans so that we could release resources for ministry instead of using them to pay interest. But more than has had a chance to become so much more than just that. This series focuses on our inner being, our inner life. And we'll see if we lean into this, link arms with the Spirit of God and the Word of God, that more than can be accomplished in our faith, in our hearts, in our perspective, even in our generosity. And that happens when we trust God. You know, one of the worst things that can happen to a church is to lose its willingness to set daring goals and to chase after them. In Romans 12, 11, Paul says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. We need to continue to take bold steps forward with Jesus. You know, for 19 years, God has blessed and grown Northeast in some extraordinary ways. And that hasn't happened because we're somehow an inherently better church than any other church. I think it's happened because Northeast has always embraced challenging opportunities rather than turning their backs on them. And we aren't running from this challenge either. We believe from the very beginning of this initiative, when we first started praying, God, what do you want us to do? That this needed to be more than just about us. And if we're going to take on an effort like this, that there need to be a part of it that would bless someone besides us. I can tell you that the minute we landed on that, not one person pushed back on it. Oh, there were parts of this thing that people pushed back on, but not this. Everybody, to a man, to a woman, said this is, this is something we have to do. So a strategic part of more than involves giving 10% of what we assemble or what we accumulate in this offering to make a difference in three specific areas. There are four primary needs, but they're grouped in three ways. The first is Psalm 82.3. Some of you will remember Psalm 82.3 was our big splash partner that we had earlier this year, and we were helping them to get 
an orphanage in Liberia off the ground. Well, we want to help them finish that orphanage that they're building, and then we want to provide funds for the first 15 girls who will be living there in January. Hard to believe it is a reality in just a few months. Secondly, our two groups, Refuge for Women and Natalie Sisters. These are two faith-based organizations providing specialized ministries to women who have escaped from or need to escape from human trafficking or sexual exploitation. Refuge for Women provides specialized long-term care for women who have escaped while Natalie, Sister is on, Natalie Sisters is on the front line touching to help women escape this way of life by providing hope, support, and God's unconditional love. And finally, last but certainly not least, Liberty Elementary. Liberty Elementary is just a block away from us. And that we found that they have somewhere around 25 families that are significantly under-resourced. And many of those students are suffering because they don't have enough food. They don't have shoes that fit. They don't have glasses so they can see. There's a whole host of basic needs that no kid in Lexington should not have access to that these kids don't have. We have incredible relationships with these ministry opportunities, and we know that our investments will make a significant difference. So this leads me to ask a probing question, just one for you to think about. Is it better, is it a blessing, or is it a burden to be part of a church with an increasing, increasingly large vision? You see, when I read the history of Israel, I wonder what was going on in the heads of most of the Israelites. You see, God brought them out of slavery, and that was no small thing. They saw literally a miracle. But then God led them to the brink of a huge opportunity. All they had to do was cross the Jordan and take possession of the land God had promised. Yet they pulled back from it instead of stepping into it. They complained about it instead of thanking God for it. And they turned on their leaders instead of celebrating their courage and their vision. They were dying on the inside instead of living the dream that God had for them. Why do you think the history of the Israelites is so prominent in the Bible? When you look at how often they messed up and how often they disappointed God, you might wonder why God just filled the Old Testament telling their story. Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 6, the Apostle Paul explains why God did that. He says, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. We can learn some really great lessons from Israel's history. But the Bible also urges us to take a warning from them. God wants his people to trust him. If you only hear one thing from me this morning, God wants his people to trust him. God wants his people to put their faith and full confidence in him. He wants his people to live by faith and step into the life that he's prepared for them. Now, how do we do that? How do we live by faith? Well, let's explore that just for a moment. Live by faith by focusing on the objectives, not the obstacles. Focus on the objectives, not the obstacles. With victory waiting just across the Jordan River, the Israelites lost sight of their vision and they focused on all the potential problems. And that's understandable to a point. I mean, the giants that lived across the Jordan were real. Think about it. If you and I had been there, 
and we were facing the probability of hand-to-hand combat against an army of super gladiators with our lives and the lives of our families at risk, how would we have reacted? Would we have sided with the four leaders who were saying, let's go and take this land, or with the crowd who was afraid that it couldn't be done? Nearly 400 years ago, the pilgrims came to our shore, the shores of our country and they were people of great vision and courage. The first year they established a town, the second year they elected city officials, the third year they, the city council voted to build a road five miles out into the wilderness. And on year number four, some people were grumbling, wanting to throw out the city council for wasting money building a road into the wilderness. That's kind of ironic to me that just a few years ago, they were venturing across the Atlantic to a brand new land, and now they were unwilling to venture just a few miles out into a wild forest. But that's how quickly we can lose vision. Like the Israelites, we can celebrate how God helped us in the past while refusing to walk by faith today. Helen Keller was once asked, is there anything worse than being blind? She said, oh yes. It's being able to see, but having no vision. That's a good word. So this morning, I'm asking our church to focus on what God has in store for us. I'll grant you that this is a monumental task. In fact, some eyebrows were raised when we said, hey, we want to do everything we can to eliminate as much of the 5.63 million as we possibly can over the next two years. This is not a casual effort. In fact, this can cause some of us to have fear, hyperventilate, maybe a little bit of anxiety. You want to be a part, but you don't know how this works. I'm glad we have visionary leaders around here. Since fear dilutes vision, we got to confront our fear. Let's do that. What are you afraid of? Some of you are afraid of heights, snakes, the water. Some of you are afraid of clowns. It's real in our home. We have a clown, clownophobe. I don't even know what that's called. But for me, I'm not afraid of any of those things. I really am not. I'm afraid of one thing and one thing only. Rats. Rats, exactly. That, it just creeps me out right there. It's a giant rat. That's a rat on steroids. Here's the deal. I read this book when I was in middle school, junior high, we called it back then, and it was a fictional book about these rats that were terrorizing the the world, and from then on, they scared the absolute stuffing out of me. I was working at my my part-time job in high school at a place called Sunrise Dairy one summer. I'd gone to the front office and got a soda pop, and I was heading back to the uh, shop to I have my dinner break, and I saw something out of the corner of my eye. And you know where this is going. I thought, what was that? It came from the rear duels, the rear tires of a tractor trailer, an 18-wheeler, and it went to the shadows of the steps. See, it was nighttime, and the lights in the parking lot of our, of our trucking, this trucking company kind of lit up different things. He cast shadows, and it ran to the shadow. And I just went to investigate, and when I got there, it was a rat like this big. And it freaked me out. And I started yelling for my boss. Well, the the compressor in the shop was running, so he couldn't hear me. But I was yelling, bring a sledgehammer. (laughs) 
We're going to pulverize this thing. And I start chasing after it. And it's scurrying. It doesn't run. It scurries. The evil thing scurry. And it's scurrying. And I'm running after it. And all of a sudden, it stops and turns around at me. And I'm thinking, why are you chasing it? This makes no sense. And so I had my ring of keys that I used for, for work. And I I threw it at it and in a good Monty fashion. I totally missed it. But what I did was I ticked it off. And it looked at me, you know, and it's no, oh, man. And I'm screaming. My knees are shaking. My heart is racing three times what it normally does. And I could, I could hear this stupid compressor, and I'm still yelling. And it got away. It, the evil rat got away. I wish I could tell you my boss came with a 15-pound with a sledge and we took care of business, but it got away. And you know what? Later, I would think about that rat. He's around here somewhere. <laughs> you get down on a creeper and you're sliding under a truck to do something, you're looking around. <laughs> Where's that little devil? <laughs> the truth is there are times when we're all going to be afraid whatever the rat is for you. Lots of things can cause us fear. But God doesn't need, God doesn't need, fear doesn't need, excuse me, to stop us from walking through the door God opens. Proverbs 22, 3 says, a prudent man foresees the difficulties ahead, prepares them. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Some of you might be wondering, does an initiative like this scare me? On one level, it does. I've never, I've never led an effort like this before, and I, I don't really want to be a fool who doesn't realize the huge challenge when he sees it. But I'm also confident that God is at work here. As you've probably heard by now, in July, God opened the door for Christian financial resources to buy our debt, saving Northeast $3.4 million dollars. The financial experts of both our bank and CFR all indicated that they'd never seen a bank take that much of a discount when selling a loan. We knew why that happened. We believe that God did it on our behalf. I'm confident that God has been directing our decisions and that he is able to help us to succeed. And we're still seeing him do that. Oh, the $3.4 million Red Sea kind of miracle was significant. But God is still doing things even since then. I'm so thankful for how God has provided already for the more than initiative. I'm going to give you a couple examples of what I'm talking about. Here's some things that just been donated to us. First of all, we received $5,000. They said, don't pay, don't use church money, use this money. So we got $5,000 to start with our budget. We have all the labor from all the printing, and some of the printing that you've gotten has just been phenomenal. All of the labor for that has been donated. We've received over $30,000 in graphic design work for free. This stuff looks really, really expensive. The truth is, it is, but it's free. All the food for the town hall meetings, donated. And next Sunday evening, we're gonna have a leadership dinner and our leaders are going to come together, and they're going to make their commitments for more than on that night. And we wanted that to be a nice dinner. It's going to be amazing. And I just found out yesterday that we're only paying 50% of the cost of that. The hotel is comping us 
for 50% off. I'm so grateful for the generosity of so many people. To this date, we've only spent out of our church budget $1,332, which, the, yeah, you can applaud that. Most campaigns like this, they have a budget of about $40,000. We said, we think we can do it less than that, 20000 Pat Smith told me this morning, we're not even gonna come close to spending what our budget was. But that's just God. God's already doing more than we can ask or imagine. Some of you may be wondering, why do we do this now? Couldn't we have waited a little bit? I mean, we just got forgiven the money. We could have waited six months, or we could have waited a year. But the sooner we start saving, the sooner we can begin releasing resources that we would have had to use to pay interest that we won't have to. I'll give you one simple example of what I'm talking about and how significant this, this initiative can be. If we were to finance our 5.63 million, that's what we owe, at 5%, our annual interest payment would be $281,500. Now, we have not set a goal, because we're praying that God will do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. We have no idea what that means. Is that 500,000? Is that a million? Is that 5.63 million? Who knows? God knows. But let's just say for the sake of round numbers, and a, a lot of my team is nervous anytime I'm doing math on this thing, but let's just say we raise a million dollars, okay, and put that toward our principal, and we finance 4.63. Our annual interest rate, our payment will be $231,500, which is a savings of $50,000. If we start saving 50000 of interest that we don't have to pay from day one, guess what? Over the course of a 20-year loan, we will save $1 million. It definitely does make a difference when you think about compounded interest, the difference you can make on the front end as opposed to the, the back end. Starting now will save us literally thousands of dollars in interest. During the 25 months of more than, we will be eliminating principal weekly weekly. The very next day, each week, we will reduce principal, and we will simultaneously reduce the amount we pay in interest. That's how CFR does this. That's why we want to take the biggest offering we've ever taken two weeks from today on November the 10th, Commitment Sunday. And I just, pray, I just want you to know, I'm praying that everybody participates 100% Commitment, 100% participation on Commitment Sunday. Now, that might mean for some of you, hey, I can just do $50 or I can just do $10. The reason I, I want to encourage you is that I don't want anyone to miss out on this promised land kind of experience. Now, others are going to commit to give a weekly amount or a monthly amount, and that's going to make a significant impact as well. And some will do both. Some will make a commitment on Commitment Sunday. They'll give a gift, and then they'll make some kind of weekly or monthly regular gift. Every part of this offering will have an impact. We could, we could have waited, but we thought it was wise to just go ahead and get started as immediately. I do want to encourage everyone to participate because I don't want anyone to miss out on being involved with what God is doing. But I don't want one of you to feel pressured 
to give. No pressure, no guilt, no arm twisting. But I want to ask you to do just one thing. Whatever your level of participation is, will you pray and sincerely ask God what you should do? And if you do that over the next two weeks, I will support you in whatever you choose to do. I just don't want anybody to miss out. Our debt is huge. It's still huge, even after the 3.4 million. But Jesus gives us confidence in Matthew 19, 26. I love this verse. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. God's brought us this far. Some of you know that. Some of you know the journey. And some of the waters were pretty choppy. And I am grateful for your faithfulness. Couldn't have made it without you. I'm also, rele- I'm also mindful that God will sustain us. He's done it in the past. I know he's gonna, he's gonna bring us through whatever comes our way. Corey Timboom said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God is a great word. So let's focus on, just for a moment, what can happen if we all lean into this thing called more than? Walt Disney didn't live to see Disney World. I know there's a lot of Disney people in our church. He didn't get to see it. He didn't see it when it was completed. At the dedication of the park, though, someone asked his wife, I wish Walt could have seen this. And she said, he did. He did. It's the power of vision. He saw it before it was ever built in his head. And that's the kind of vision we need as we enter into this initiative called More Than. We can focus only on how impossible this seems, and it does. I'm going to be honest with you. It kind of seems impossible to me. Or we can focus on the results that God can give. And when I think about what he's done in the past, I start to grow in confidence that he can do something like that again. So what would you do if you had more? Watch this one-minute video. gives you a little bit of an idea what's some of the thinking around here. I want you to know what I see, the impact of more than, and this is not exhaustive, but I just started thinking, what might happen if we lean into this and God shows up and makes his presence known and we see him do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine? What could happen over the next few years? I see 15 Liberian orphans safely living in a Christ-centered home. I see dozens of women finding freedom from sexual abuse and hope in Jesus Christ. I see young adults and young families 
all around this place having encounters with Jesus in ways they've never known before. And I see more dads baptizing their sons and daughters like we saw this morning. I see young moms connecting with other moms for support, and I see kids in Shawneetown and Nepal and Guatemala and Owsley County learning about Jesus, some for the very first time. Just like the Israelites who stood on one side of the Jordan with the chance to step into a much better life, we have the opportunity to step into a future that makes our church even more of what we dream about that every church should be, but certainly our church should be. What I look forward to more than anything is having this great opportunity to give glory to God for what happens through you all. Nothing gives me greater joy than being able to list all the ways that God has been so generous and faithful to our church. And then nothing is more humbling than to hear one of you say how God is working in this place or how God is working in your life. I hope we never forget how cool it is to get to be part of something like this, something that only God could do. When this happens, it may not add up. You could do the math and it's not gonna make sense. But God specializes in doing the impossible. I hope we'll always be quick to honor God with all that happens here. Now, we could, we could focus on how difficult it is for a church our size to eliminate debt like this, but we could also focus on all the good that could be accomplished when we do what we can do. And I can focus on how hard it will be to carve out sacrificially to give to more than, above my regular gifts, or I can focus on how it'll deepen my character and my relationship with God when I do. I want you to take a minute and listen to our worship band, our student worship band, as they, listen, as they lead us in this song. And I want you to think about what might be. Let me pray first. Father, thank you for the young people behind me and for the privilege it is for them to lead us in worship. It is our privilege, Lord, as they serve us. Will you speak to our hearts this morning? as they sing and lead. Amen.
Just stay standing with me, and we're going to close in one second. The message of that song is about how God can take a life that's broken and messed up, and he can forgive the sin, and he can turn it around and make it brand new. And that is ultimately the message of everything that we want to do through Northeast. Our goal is to increase the population of heaven. And that's why more than is so important. Phase one. 3.4 million, what a blessing. I don't minimize that at all. Thank you, God, for doing that. But we still have a stranglehold on us. And so we're just saying, let's pray. That's where this whole thing started over five and a half years ago. Our elders just started praying. God, show us what to do financially. And God has been faithful to us every step of the way. We don't want to miss this opportunity that God is going to do something immeasurably more. So I want to encourage you to pray over the next two weeks. And whatever you do, don't miss November 10th. You're going to want to be here that day. I hope you'll be here next week as well. And I want to say one last thing, and then I pray, I'll pray. It is exceptionally special to me and to our leadership to have all of these children, students, kids serving all around here. And I can be honest with you, their, their partnership with us this morning makes us better. Even at their young ages, they're already playing a part in making Jesus known. And I'm very proud of them. I'm really proud of these young people that were up here just a moment ago. So don't take it for granted. The future is great. You've just seen a glimpse of it. But we have a job to do in the now. So let's pray and ask God to show us what to do. Father, I thank you for this morning and the chance to celebrate you. And God, me, just me personally, I'm sure I speak for many in this room, the blessing of these young people all throughout our facilities, so great, so great. God, thank you for their each one of them, I thank you for their parents and the blessing that they have been to those children and to us as a church family. Lord, I pray one prayer today that you would help us to trust you in all that we do. That you won't allow us to be afraid or discouraged or somehow sidetracked to keep from being and doing what you call us to do. We don't want to miss out on being part of what you're doing. So God, will you unite us together to do our part so that we might see you do immeasurably more 
than we can ask or imagine. And God, we trust you and ask that you would do just that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.